Part One, Chapter Fifteen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Pierre had not succeeded in choosing a career for himself when he was sent to Moscow on account of his disorderly conduct. The story which had been related at Count Rostov's was correct. Pierre had been one of the young men who had tied the policeman on the bear's back. He had arrived in Moscow a few days previous, and taken up his abode as usual in his father's house. Although he foresaw that the story would be noised abroad in Moscow, and that the ladies who formed his father's household, and who were always hostile to him, would take advantage of this occurrence to irritate the Count against him, he nevertheless, on the very day of his arrival, started to go to his father's apartments. As he went into the drawing-room, where the princesses usually sat, he stopped to pay his respects to the ladies, who were there busy with their embroidery frame and in listening to a book which one of them was reading aloud. There were three of them. The oldest, a severely prim old maid with a long waist, the very one who had made the descent upon Anna Mikhailovna, was the reader. The younger ones, both rosy-cheeked and rather pretty, and exactly alike, except that one of them had a little mole on her lip, decidedly adding to her beauty, were engaged at the embroidery frame. Pierre was received like a ghost, or a leper. The oldest princess ceased reading, and silently looked at him with eyes expressive of alarm. The one without the mole did the same. The third, who had the mole, and some sense of the ludicrous, bent over the embroidery to conceal a smile, caused by what she thought promised to be an amusing scene, she drew the thread down and bent over, as though studying the pattern, but in reality to hide her laugh. "'Bonjour, mon cousine,' said Pierre. "'Vous ne me reconnaissez pas?' "'I know you very well, altogether too well.' "'How is the Count? Can I see him?' asked Pierre, awkwardly as usual, but still not disconcerted. "'The Count is suffering, both physically and mentally,' and it seems you have taken pains to cause him the greater part of his moral suffering. "'Can I see the Count?' repeated Pierre. Hm. "'If you desire to kill him, to kill him out and out, then you can see him. Olga, go and see if the bullion is ready for uncle. It is high time,' she added, making Pierre see by this that they were wholly absorbed in caring for his father, while he, on the contrary, was palpably bent on annoying him.' Olga left the room. Pierre stood still, looking at the sisters, and then said with a bow, "'Then I will go back to my room. As soon as it is possible, you will please tell me.' He went out, and behind his back was heard the young princess's laugh, ringing but not loud. On the next day came Prince Vasily, and put up at the Count's. He called Pierre, and said to him, "'Mon cher, si vous vous condescez, Ici comme à Petersburg. Vous finirez très mal. C'est tout ce que vous dites. The Count is very ill. Very ill. It is imperative that you should not see him. From that time, Pierre had been left severely alone, and spent his days in solitude, upstairs in his own rooms. At the moment that Boris appeared at the door, Pierre was walking up and down his room, occasionally pausing in the corners and making threatening gestures at the walls, 
as though trying to thrust through some unknown enemy, and looking savagely over his spectacles, and then again beginning his promenade, muttering indistinct words, shrugging his shoulders, and spreading out his hands. L'Angleterre a vécu, he was declaiming, with a frown and pointing at some imaginary person with his finger. Monsieur Pitt, comme traître à la nation et à droit des jeunes, et comme damnia. But he had no time to complete his denunciation of Pitt, spoken by himself, personating his hero Napoleon, in whose company he imagined himself crossing the perilous Dover Straits and already taking London by storm, before he caught sight of a handsome, well-built young officer coming towards him. He stopped short. Boris was a lad of fourteen when he had last seen him, and he did not recognize him at all. But, nevertheless, he seized him by the hand in his impulsive, cordial way, and smiled affectionately. "'Do you remember me?' asked Boris, calmly, with a pleasant smile. "'I came with my mother to see the Count, but it seems he is too ill to receive us.' "'Yes, he is very ill.' They keep him stirred up all the time, returned Pierre, striving to recollect who this young man was. Boris was certain that Pierre did not recognize him, but he did not think it necessary to tell him his name, and without manifesting the slightest awkwardness, he looked him full in the face. Count Rostov invites you to dine with him this afternoon, said he, after a rather long silence that made Pierre feel uncomfortable. Ah, Count Rostov, exclaimed Pierre, joyfully. Then you are his son, Ilya. At the first instant I did not recognize you, as you can easily imagine. Do you remember how you and I and Madame Jacotte used to go out walking on the Sparrow Hills, years ago? You are mistaken, said Boris deliberately, and with a bold and rather derisive smile. I am Boris, the son of the Princess Anna Mikhailovna Drubetskaya. Rostov's father is named Ilya, and his name is Nikolai, and I never knew Madame Jocotte. Pierre made a gesture with his hands and head, as though he were driving away mosquitoes. Ah, it is so indeed. I have mixed everything all up. I have so many relatives in Moscow. So you are Boris? Yes. Well, you and I seem to have begun with a misunderstanding. Well, what do you think of the expedition to Bologna? It will go pretty hard with the English, if only Napoleon crosses the channel, won't it? I think the expedition is feasible, if only Villeneuve doesn't fail him. Boris knew nothing about the Bologna expedition. He had not read the newspapers, and this was the first time he had ever heard of Villeneuve. We here in Moscow are more taken up with dinners and gossip than with politics, said he, in his calm, satirical tone. I know nothing about such things. Moscow is given over especially to tittle-tattle, he went on to say. Now you and the Count are the talk. Pierre smiled his good-natured smile, as though to depreciate anything unpleasant which his companion might be likely to say. But Boris spoke with due circumspection, clearly and dryly, looking straight into Pierre's eyes. Moscow likes to do nothing better than talk gossip, he repeated. All are solicitous about knowing to whom the Count is going to leave his property, and yet, very possibly, he will outlive all of us. I hope so with all my heart. Yes, this is all very trying, interrupted Pierre, very trying. 
Pierre all the time was apprehensive lest this young officer should unexpectedly turn the conversation into some awkward channel. "'But it must seem to you,' said Boris, flushing slightly, but not allowing his voice or his manner to vary. "'It must seem to you that all take an interest in this simply because they hope to get something from the estate.' "'Here it comes,' thought Pierre. "'I expressly wish to tell you, lest any misunderstanding should arise,' that you are entirely mistaken if you consider me and my mother in the number of these people. We are very poor, but I at least say this on my own account for the very reason that your father is rich, that I do not consider myself a relative of his, and neither I nor my mother would ask or even be willing to receive anything from him. Pierre for some time failed to comprehend, but when the idea dawned on him, he leaped from the sofa seized Boris under the arm with characteristic impetuosity and clumsiness, and while he reddened even more than the other, he began to speak with a mixed feeling of vexation and shame. Now, this is strange. I, then, indeed, and who would have ever thought? I know very well. But Boris again interrupted him. I am glad that I have told you all. Perhaps it was disagreeable to you. You will pardon me, said he soothing pierre instead of letting himself be soothed by him i hope that i have not offended you it is a principle with me to speak right to the point what answer am i to give will you come to dinner to the rostovs and boris having acquitted himself of a difficult explanation and got himself out of an awkward position by putting another into it again became perfectly agreeable now look here listen said Pierre, calming down. You are a remarkable man. What you have just said is very good. Very good. Of course you don't know me. We have not met for a long time. We were still children. You might have had all sorts of ideas about me. I understand you. Understand you perfectly. I should not have done such a thing. I should not have had the courage. But it is excellent." I am very glad to have made your acquaintance. Strange, he added, after a short silence and smiling. Strange that you should have had such an idea of me, he laughed. Well, who knows? We shall get better acquainted, I beg of you. He pressed Boris's hand. Do you know, I have not seen the Count yet. He has not asked for me. It is trying to me as a man, but what can I do about it? "'And do you think that Napoleon will succeed in getting his army across?' asked Boris with a smile. Pierre understood that Boris wanted to change the conversation, and taking his cue, he began to expound the advantages and disadvantages of the Bologna expedition. A footman came to summon Boris to his mother. The princess was ready to start. Pierre, looking affectionately through his spectacles, promised to come and dine with the Rostovs, so as to get better acquainted with Boris— whose hand he pressed warmly as they parted. After he was left alone, Pierre still paced for a long time up and down the room, no longer threatening an invisible enemy with the sword, but smiling at the thought of this likable young man who was so intelligent and clever and decided. As often happens in early youth, and especially when a man is lonesome, he felt an inexplicable affection for the lad, and promised himself that they should become good friends. Prince Vasily escorted the princess to the door. 
The good lady held her handkerchief to her eyes, and there were traces of tears on her cheeks. "'This is terrible, terrible!' she exclaimed. "'But, so far as in me lay, I fulfilled my duty. I will come back and spend the night. It is impossible to leave him in such a state. Every moment is precious. I cannot understand why the princesses have delayed about it. Perhaps God will enable me to find some means of preparing him. Adieu, mon prince, que les bon dieu vous soutiennent. Adieu, ma bonne, replied Prince Vasily, as he turned away from her. Ah, he is in a frightful state, said the princess to Boris, after they had again taken their seats in the carriage. He scarcely knows anyone. I cannot understand, mamenka, what his feelings are in regard to Pierre. Can you? asked the son. Everything will be made clear by his will, my dear. Our fate also depends upon that. What makes you think he is going to leave anything to us? Ah, my dear, he is so rich, and we are so poor. Well, that is a most inconclusive reason, mamenka. Ah, my God, my God, how ill he is, exclaimed the mother. End of chapter 14